0: Welcome back to season two, episode two, but really episode 22, but who's counting? This week, we talked to friend of the pod, Scarlett Bailey, who's a Chicano muralist, and we chat about how she got her start as an artist, her pilgrimage back to the motherland and dealing with her cultural identity, which is something Isabel and I and many others can relate to. She loves to tell the stories that systems and popular media leave out. That's taken straight from her website, so you know that's facts, baby. So buckle up and hold on to your huaraches. Let's get into it. Scarlett from IT, women in tech Hashtag women in tech
1: Yes, we're right here After this we'll be having a zoom lesson On how to use multiple platforms For recording and how to project all at once
2: On the road too Scarlett's TED talk, yes Well, Scarlett, we're so happy to have you. And before this, I was trying to think like, how do I even introduce such a person in my life? And just like for so many people, so I realized that you have always been the, like, the cool older sister of my life. So for, th- for the lovely <laughs> listeners at home. Um, I met you when I was, I think I was like eight because I became best friends with your younger sister, Layla. Shout out, Layla. Um, Hey, Layla. (laughs) When we were in third grade, which is crazy. Um, And so, We always, all of us, we all looked up to you as just obviously the cool older sister. You went on to, or you started as a caricature artist at SeaWorld, went on to go to UCSB, (laughs) which... If we, I'm literally in Santa Barbara right now and ended up going to Santa hey. Barbara City College, influencer from the beginning, Miss Scarlett, and then <laughs> um, moved to New York where me and Layla would end up having like our first trip by ourselves to New York. Yeah. Took me to my first Brooklyn house party. Woo!
1: (laughs) Oh my god, I forgot about that. You guys helped me move into my new apartment in Brooklyn. Yeah. Which ended up being my thriving art studio. And I did your guys' portraits Portraits. on Ikea book.
2: Yes. Oh my God. During like the heat wave of summer, muggy summer. And I was just like 15 and I was like, this is living, honey. Like this is what the cool kids do.
1: <laughs> That's what broke people the- do.
2: Okay. <laughs> I didn't know any better. I was like, oh, well, I'm like gossip girl. Like I'm living right now. <laughs> I love it. And then you went on to move to Mexico City which I always thought was just like a, such a brave vulnerable cool thing to do and fast forward to 2018 when we ended up collaborating on a project that was just super impactful for both of us I was lucky enough to get I convinced my employers to let me have you, pay you to come spend two weeks to hang out with me. So it was like the best business decision I ever did because it was amazing. Um, And fast forward, now you're back in San Diego, so I get to see you more than ever. Um, But I'm just so excited to chat with you for the next hour and have you on and share your loveliness with everyone listening. So thank you.
1: it's so so radical to be here and uh, what an introduction <laughs> wow I, I guess uh i have i've been around yes. i've seen a lot of things yes and uh, i've been stealing my little sister's friends the whole way through <laughs> my name is scarlet i'm a, a chicana muralist portrait artist um uh really anywhere the world needs art i am there um And yeah, I've been working since I was a teenager at theme parks, and now uh, I'm actually really excited. I just got um, a proposal of mine accepted for Liberty Station in San Diego. Oh my god,
2: no way. Yeah, Yeah. I'm beginning
1: a, a mural there talking about the roots of surf culture, which let me tell you the lady started oh that was a kumiai lady hack no right? way yeah it's like pretty dope so i like i found this maestro i went and learned how to make the haquayo Tule boats and just kind of yeah, oh yeah my it's God. very mind-blowing so my, my mural is talking all about that but yeah going back to this money thing i'll go to the art stores and be like i can't afford this or oh no Oh my gosh. And I'll, I would budget in the weirdest areas of my life. But like when it would come to partying or going out at night, it was like things open.
2: I know. Like money is no object. Like I'm like, oh, I need, let, let's go to dinner and like drink a bottle of wine to like talk about how we need to save money and like be better at this. <laughs> like you're yeah. like, are you like talking with your friend, like just venting about like, oh my God, I need to save money. I'm like, yes, I'll have another cocktail like in the middle of it. <laughs>
1: Yes. And it's crazy. Oh, we'll get the bill now going out to eat. And I'm like, oh,
2: whoa. Yeah.
1: This place is actually affordable. <laughs> yeah. Who knew?
0: I, know, yeah. I, I, I had I had brunch last weekend with some friends and the bill came and they were like they're like, holy shit, we drank $72. Like, they're Like, like, why is the bill so expensive? And they're like, oh, we drank $72 in margaritas. And I was like, yo, that's on you, motherfucker. Like, that's, yeah, I, like, I, like, that's just, here's my $20 and you guys yeah. figure out the rest, you know? Yeah,
1: apparently this whole time, it actually cost $20 to eat.
0: Yeah, literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who Not knew?
1: 70. Yeah, such a surprise.
2: Well, we can kind of dive into that a little bit, like, I want to know, because last time I saw you, I got to spend two weeks straight with you. Um, and yeah. we were definitely doing the drinking. We were going out. We were enjoying ourselves. So I want to know, like, how did this sort of a new venture start?
1: Yeah, it's, all, it's pretty crazy because I... Yeah, I started scheduling, I was scheduling, (laughs) I started scheduling around my hangovers and that was kind of scary. I realized my career goals really didn't align with that sort of schedule. Um, at the time I was also getting married, so life was hectic. I was really in a time of so much transition and, um, getting married for me was so introspective. I didn't imagine this existential, um, wasn't necessarily a crisis, but it was like this really looking, (laughs) yeah, it was just like a really looking inward moment. Like, Mm -hmm. whoa, this is a huge milestone in my life. And I'm kind of like starting my new family with this guy And this is an exciting opportunity to leave behind a lot of things that aren't really serving me. And, you know, it kind of felt like this blank slate and this really liberating sensation of like, okay, cool. I get to take, you know, this from the past and and totally construct something new for the future. So I just thought that alcohol was kind of taking away more than it was giving Mm -hmm. and just felt very natural to go on, like, a booze hiatus, and it wasn't really anything. Um, I didn't really know how long I was going to go without drinking. Um, and so I took six months off, and in the holidays, I decided to have a few more drinks. And um, two months ago, I realized that it wasn't working my sleep got affected immediately mm-hmm. i was, was like crabby unmotivated and honestly when i decided to stop drinking i didn't realize all of these like secondary effects that are kind of invisible like the brain fog mm-hmm. that i was feeling that was really affecting me my like self-esteem it was wild it was wild so i i realized that if i want to continue on this creative career arc and I think you know now I'm I'm 37 I'm back in my hometown I kind of had to uh, had to up the ante a little bit and just make a little bit more space for myself you know just to be more mentally available for myself yeah and in the creative industry it's so tumultuous all the time and I realized that if I wanted to like push through this all, you know, professional milestone, I, I really needed to be just kind of, like, zen and stable without, like, hangover panics. Yeah. yeah. And the, Mm. the, uh, existential crisis that was coming with my hangovers. So, so, yeah, that was kind of how it happened. It was, like, quite organic. Yeah. Um, And then I realized it's like kind of trending, which I miss that it's not rock and roll to be like sober (laughs) because that was really cool when I was in college. Now everyone's like, oh yeah, you're just like hopping on the bandwagon. I'm like,
2: no, come on. (laughs) I was doing this first.
1: (laughs) I started it.
2: (laughs) Oh my God. I feel like there's so much in what you just said that like I'm sure Pedro and I both relate to, but especially the, I feel like what you said about getting married, like that's a really brave thing to face, to just kind of just like be wide open to that. And like, you know, the fact that it's super vulnerable and you're making this intentional decision that's like so huge. And it sounds like it really like put a, maybe like a mirror to you that you were able to like you know, be so excited about and look forward, but also like you wanted to be fully present in. And I feel like when like you, f- you face these big life moments or these shifts, or you're, you realize you're in a place to decide who you're going to be going forward and like how you're going to yeah. present your best self. Like those, these are the factors that start, that you start to question if they're contributing to that, or they start to feel more wrong I guess um to that process
1: mm-hmm. yeah it felt like it wasn't totally like fitting the same way that the puzzle piece used to
2: yeah Pedro did you do you relate to it in terms of like just feeling like no this isn't the thing for me anymore
0: yeah I mean I mean I've I mean I've kind of talked about this like every month that goes by of not drinking I have like more realizations of like just different things that I want in my life or things I want, I don't want in my life. And I've kind of like slowly, like when I first stopped drinking, I was like, I'm for sure going to drink again. And now like a year later, I don't know, like I can easily kind of see myself never drinking again. Um, I, I still don't have the answer to that. And I don't know if I ever will, but like, yeah, it's just like you you start to realize just different things that you want in your life and you don't. And it just, it kind of does get easier because it just becomes, you just get used to like not drinking. You get used to like going to bars with your friends and not drinking and going to dinner and not drinking and going to movies, not drinking, like doing all these social events and like even going to big things like friends' weddings and not drinking where like that was such a staple, And like going to concerts and like, now it's just like, it just becomes part of your life. And it's, it's not now i kind of see it as like it's not even a big deal and like i used to also like i mean like pat myself on the back oh shit like you went to a country you didn't drink good job and like of (laughs) course i think you need to like celebrate those things for sure but now it's like it's i don't even like i don't even think about it it's not even drinking is not even something i even bother to like that's even that even pops in my head so it's just like i don't know it just kind of becomes naturally a part of like your way of living and then you have these like small moments like i mentioned, like eating with friends and you're like, oh, cool. I only spent $25 at lunch and not 100, $150 like my friends did. And then it's just like these small little things that are reminders of like why it's like the positive side of not drinking, you know, beyond just like the health benefits.
1: Exactly. Yeah. When I decided to take this, this little drinking hiatus, which I also, I'm, I'm really refreshed to hear like that. You don't know. Uh, You're like, maybe I'll drink again, maybe I don't, but, you know, right now, I think it's, like, it's cool to just be, like, not so strict on on yourself. Um, But when I decided to take this hiatus, I was like, man, I was always the life of the party, and I was always making sure everyone had a stiff drink, and are people going to make fun of me and think that I'm, like, I don't know, people are going to think I'm pregnant. And then they're gonna think that I'm just like (laughs) if they when they find out I'm not pregnant, they're gonna think I'm like on some weird like woo woo Illuminati thing.
0: Or they they start uh, to think that you're crazy, like oh, is she having a nervous breakdown or a mental (laughs) breakdown? It's like you can't even like you can't even try to be healthy nowadays without people like assuming that there's something wrong with you. It's so stupid.
1: Yeah, last year over Thanksgiving, I wasn't drinking and. Normally my aunt um, and I, we have this, this ceremonial martini that we go for and we catch up on our life and, and uh, I wasn't drinking and she was like, what, are you okay? Is this, do you need help? I'm like, I'm fine. And, you know, also realizing that you still get to do all these activities. You still, nothing is actually taken away and I actually enjoy concerts more than ever because I'm not like nervous about if I'm close to the bar or should I order a double so that I can stay watching the show mm-hmm. uh, art shows I enjoy so much more I actually have way more interesting conversations and surprisingly feel more confident to go and approach curators and and talk critically so I don't know in my own mind I had this stigma about not drinking and what it looks like that was constructed Based on, I have no idea really. And actually, taking a step away from alcohol is like,
2: it's not really like that different of a life. <laughs> it's funny you mention about your aunt because sometimes I think about, and I I still drink, but I've def, I've like changed the way I drink and I've taken like substantial breaks. But um, I, sometimes I think it's more like more, I'm more self-conscious not drinking around my family than like friends. Like I, I worry about their judgment more. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but like, like that's just what we do when we have dinner, we have wine or with my dad. Like at this point, my dad is really the only person I like get drunk with because like he'll like pour mezcal tastings. I'm like, all right, well, here we go. <laughs> but like my family at Christmas, like we'd, open like the we save the best bottle of wine for like Christmas dinner and for some reason I don't know feeling judgment from your family is feels more embarrassing.
1: It's funny. I know I think it's just easier for for them. They're like, oh man, she's gonna be like alert and witnessing it her
2: totally. Oh her my while. god. Maybe that's <laughs> she it. won't be part of the stew. Yeah. <laughs> totally. They're like she's gonna yeah, remember what like, we said tomorrow.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: I, I recently had like during I think it was what's the most recent holiday? It was a Mother's Day. Have we had Mother's Day yet, or was it Father Father's Day?
1: We we had both of them. We we
0: have both. Okay, I, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I clearly yeah. Um, but we had some family over at my mom at my parents' house, and I was like, like kind of nervous because that family that was coming over they they do love to drink a lot and i was like oh crap like i was like i to what is isabel was saying is like i was getting like oh man like are they going to be like asking me a million questions and like why i'm not drinking and like and then it it got like it like was the total opposite because they were like crazy supportive because they heard that they were aware that i'm not drinking anymore so they were like bringing all these like non-alcoholic like different drinks which was like okay. super oh, so super supportive and, like, of course, like, I appreciated that so much. But then, it like, it was almost like this overcompensation. And, of course, like, it's just me overthinking shit in my head like I always do. But I was just like, oh, man, like, am I going to have to drink? Like, try all of these non-alcoholic <laughs> things that I'm like – I just want to drink water today, you know? And like, I felt bad because, like, my cousin, like, went to the store and, like, bought, like, Aww, the phony Negronis so and, like, non-alcoholic beer and, like, non-alcoholic wine. There was all this stuff for, like, me that she went out of her way for. And I was, like, totally sweet. And then I was just, like – And then I felt, like, pressure to, like, drink all – like, try all of them. Yeah. So it was, like – It was this weird thing where I'm, like, I can't win. Like, 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 I feel like an asshole regardless, like, of the situation. But, like yeah, – yeah, it's it's weird to like. Yeah, you go through those stages of like, okay, you're hanging out with your friends, and then they have to get they get used to you, you're not drinking. You hang out with your family, they get used to, and then like they accept it, and then they're just like, I don't, I don't know. It was a weird, it was a weird yeah. feeling. I was just like That's downing like, like, all this like yeah, non-alcoholic stuff.
1: Mad hydrated. You were like yeah. the oh, most yeah. hydrated you've been in your life, right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Okay. This is dope because I want to know, I want to know your guys's favorite. Any drinks. I have been like loving trying all of this. I like we were talking about uh, before we started recording on this road trip up to Laguna Beach. I pit stopped at this dope spot. It's called Goodania. I've never been into i All the Cali people you should definitely go. The pancakes are fire. They don't even look as good as they taste, but they are so good. And they have a little, um, uh, organic market with lots of any drinks. Oh my god! Yeah. And so I, gra- I actually wanted to open this other one. Have you guys tried the the curious number drink? No, no, I'm intrigued. I'm gonna open this. Okay, so I just finished my phony Negroni, which is crazy. It tastes just like a Negroni. It's so loud. and it's kind of weird. It's like. I'm so used to not drinking that when it tastes too much like alcohol, I get a little bit like, oh, ew, I don't even know. I'm like a child. I'm like, ew, what is this flavor? <laughs> um, but it was wild. I bought all these drinks and I was so excited to try them. And I was like, oh damn, I can like drive and drink this cocktail again, <laughs> right? Like I'm this was- is so loud,
2: I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> oh my god. So, I was saying earlier, I tried the phony Negroni after we left Boisson, shout up Boisson, where we had our event. And I was in the car and I was really excited to try it. And I realized, oh my god, I can just open it now. But like, <laughs> it wasn't like the experience of tasting it because it does taste like alcohol. The experience, it was just like it felt wrong. I was like, this is it's not like a cup holder drink. <laughs> At all, it's like yeah. a it's like a saver, like sit and pour it out in a glass. <laughs> kind right. Of kind.
1: You're like driving in your car with like, like a low ball <laughs> yeah, and a giant exactly. you open it, like a slice of <laughs> yeah, orange.
2: I was like, i, I need. S- I swear, officer, I <laughs> swear
0: it's non-alcoholic. I swear. He's like, sure, okay, lady. I'm,
1: I'm gonna open this one. Curious number one. Ooh. I don't really know what this is. It says Curious elixir number one is a booze free craft cocktail infused with rhodiola (laughs) to lift you up and help distress. Oh, our orbaceous ode to the Negroni. Oh, okay. Like Mm. another
2: (laughs) in the Negroni family. Let's see Negroni Wars. This one's (laughs) a little more cloudy. All right, a
0: live taste test. Let's see. Oh my.
2: Yep. This is R- like ASMR. I heard the before one and ten. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: Okay.
0: Give it a sniff. Yeah, give it a sniff.
1: It's it
2: smells it smells cinnamony. Ooh. Do you know the five smells- S's of wine tasting? Oh, uh, See. Do you look at it? And, okay. Yeah. And then you mm-hmm. swirl. <laughs> this is for wine. Okay. <laughs> then you okay. sniff. So you did the sniff, and then you sip, mm-hmm. and then you savor. Bye-bye. Oh, okay. I'm number four, sip.
0: Yeah, just go straight to four. <laughs> huh.
1: <laughs> Savoring? Savoring? Different, different. Definitely not like the authentic Negroni flavor, but potent and indeed
2: herbaceous. Ooh. Love it. Snaps to that review. Yeah. It is yeah. indeed herbaceous. That's what I'm going to call my drink when I create a drink. Um it's going to be indeed herbaceous.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't don't ask me to spell that.
2: <laughs> nope. Oh my god, that sounds good. I feel so boring. I'm just drinking my Water here.
0: But what, if we,
2: what have I tried that has been good? Well, the Phony Negroni, I like the little Kins, the Kin Euphoric, those little guys.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are good. Those are those good. Those are good. I think
2: I like them because they... I, well, I like the small can. Like, I'm a sucker for just, mm-hmm. like, a cutesy small can. And oh. I like that it's, like, not really trying... It's just, like, something new. Like, it's not really trying to be anything. It's just... Right. It doesn't, like... It doesn't ask you to like suspend reality you know it's just like this is what I am yeah you know yeah
1: and that label that label label is romancing yes I'm like take me there rainbow fantasy yeah
2: love it yeah and then yeah Yeah. I'm always
1: I'm a sucker for the labels my my graphic design side is always like that's gotta be good if the label's good right
2: yeah Exactly. I am the same way. I'm like, that will look lovely on a bar cart or like on the table. (laughs) Um, Wait, can we segue this from your graphic design background? Because I want to go back to your time as a caricature artist like I want to go back to when you realize like I'm Scarlett Bailey artist you know because you've always been someone that inspired me in terms of like your just vulnerability and the fact that you, like I think you were the first person in my life that I saw that was like oh you can just be creative and like lean into that and make a living oh, no. like you have so oh, yeah take us there <laughs> how did you become Scarlett Bailey artist Oh, man, it's
1: I, it's embarrassing to say or not. Maybe I need to accept it. It really did all start at SeaWorld. I had nothing to do with the animals. That was a very creepy thing. I'm so happy that Blackfish came out.
0: I'm so happy. <laughs> hey, it's thank,
1: your you background. That <laughs> thank you for that yeah. disclaimer. Thank
0: you for that disclaimer. You
1: know, it was it was not OK. Um, (laughs) It it
0: was a different time. It was accepted back then. It was a different time. You're grandfathered in, Scarlett. It's totally fine. Okay, thank you.
1: It was the only paid artist job I could find at the age of 15, okay, in San Diego. So, so yeah, that was wild. You know, I grew up hooked on cartoons. Like, I would watch Nick and Knight and Cartoon Network like a crazy lady. Ren and Stimpy was my jam. Hanna-Barbera, everything. I had the oversized t shirts with Tweety Bird on it that gave me life. And for me, it was just very natural that, like, if you're gonna be the shit, you could draw really well and create these characters. And that's, that's called fashion and style and awesomeness. Mm-hmm. And I always thought everyone knew how to draw. I thought this was just like part of our talents. Like, we walk, we eat, we draw. Wow. And probably. Oh, my gosh. I mean, when did I realize that everybody draws a little differently? Um, (laughs) That's one way to put it. (laughs) I don't know. To be honest, I look at my first drawings and I look at some of the caricatures that I did at SeaWorld. world Uh, Actually, your old babysitter, my best friend, Jackie. Shout out, Jackie. (laughs) Hey, Jackie. She whipped out a caricature I did of her and her now husband. And I'm like, that is so ugly. I can't believe people paid for that. And why did I think that this was like my career choice in my direction? It was just like that perfect teenage ego delusion where you think you could do everything. And that just like, I don't know. It just hurled me into thinking that was like, I just never gave up. And I always studied and always practiced. And um, I studied art history at UCSB. Um, and I knew that I had to go to the the nucleus of it all and New York was calling. Once I got there, I was so busy trying to keep the lights on, pay the rent, you know, do the New York hustle that I abandoned uh, my creative productivity. And there was one night I got home, I was in a fury, I had like five jobs and I I grabbed yet another Ikea box, (laughs) whipped out my paints, made a painting, started a blog, and shared that on Facebook. This was before even Instagram. Mm -hmm. And at that time I was working in the fashion industry and um, one of my friends from that world saw what I was doing and commissioned me to do a portrait of her family. And that portrait ended up getting pressed and coming out in an interior design magazine and essentially launched my career. Wow. Yeah. And from that, I started to feel a little bit frustrated on how slow oil painting was. And I felt this, this urge to do portraits in a really fast style, similar to how I was doing it at SeaWorld. Um, because they train us at SeaWorld to draw a face in three minutes. It's essentially, it's like a circus trick doing (laughs) caricatures and they're just trying to turn out money. And
0: they're like, this 15 15 year old, you got three minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was like, I was making $11 an hour at age 15. And I was like, I'm living. I I made it. Yeah. So Wait, did I you ever, get
2: tips, too? Like, did you get tips? And I got oh, tips, good. yes. Oh, good,
1: Yes, so it was, it was, this was, like, that summer job got me to Barcelona, that paid for my books, that got me to New York. I love it. So, I remember this style that they taught us at SeaWorld, and, you know, now after so many fine arts classes, I was like, there's got to be a way where I could bridge the two. And... So I started to do kind of like these oversized, fine art style caricatures. And that was essentially my like coming out as an artist project in New York because that project got picked up by DKNY y and they used it for all the window displays. Um, which for me was really awesome because at the time I was doing... Overnights working as a visual merchandiser, folding t-shirts and dressing mannequins. So when they came to me and said, oh, no, actually, you don't need to dress mannequins anymore. We're putting (laughs) your art everywhere. That was wild, wild, wild. And that working as a visual merchandiser, I think, was also my segue into uh, street art a little bit. You know, at the time, I was really desperate for a place to show my work and didn't really know how to do it. And so I started, um, with these portraits that I had drawn, I would cut them out and wheat paste them all over Brooklyn. Um, and I started painting murals in windows for stores. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, eventually I realized I really liked it. So then I started doing that illegally outside of stores. Um, and then moved to Mexico city, which is just like the Mecca of muralism. And that was where I got my first, uh, Legal Mural Commission.
2: Wait, why is it like the mecca of muralism, as you say? What do you think it is yeah. about the city?
1: Well, there is a lot of political unrest. Um, and it's a metropolis, so life is very much in public, on the street. And there's just like a very cool mentality in Mexico about art, there's so much respect for artists. When I moved there, I was so flattered. You know, people would call me maestra. I went from being like starving artist in Brooklyn to like maestra in in Mexico. And, Mm -hmm. And artists know that their work is really just like a service to the people and to the community and there's actually this amazing program that happened um it was the the american progress oh my gosh this is terrible i'm a historian and i don't remember the actual essentially after the depression one of the programs sent american artists to mexico to learn how to paint murals so in the 1940s there was this huge cultural exchange of uh, Mexican and American muralists, And that was the same time that Diego Rivera and Siqueiros was coming to paint in, in California. Um, And so, yeah, there's just like a, a legacy of public art and expression on the streets. And that's sort of how information is diffused and communicated. And in Mexico city is, definitely in a huge renaissance of contemporary muralists. It's insane and beautiful. And one thing that's so incredible about Mexico City that I definitely miss a lot and hope to cultivate now being back in California is this very collaborative uh attitude and this mentality of like, I espacio para todos, what do you do? all right, you do this, come here, let's come together. It's like that cantina culture of just, like, pull up a chair and then a table that keeps growing and growing and growing. There there, isn't this idea of, like, ah, just one artist could exist. It's There's really, like, a power in collectivity there.
2: Yeah. That's so cool to be around and to, like, grow in, I feel like. Um Did you know, like, was that your impression of it before you moved? Or, like, tell us about how you ended up making the decision to move to Mexico.
1: Yeah, I honestly had no idea. Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. It was, like, it just felt super right. And I had really missed this part. I felt a little bit robbed of uh, my Mexican culture. Like, I never really understood a lot about my own personal identity and when I went to Mexico City I was like oh yeah that's like that's like what my abuelita does everything felt so familiar and I was like I have to be here I at least need to be here to observe and understand like who I am and where all these things come from and then when I saw the way that the art world moves there, it was just like the icing on the cake and it kept me there. And that's when I decided, all right, New York, adios, I, I got to be in Mexico. And I really am so grateful. I, I learned from so many great artists there. There's also this incredible, like, I don't know. Uh, can I say it? Bucket attitude. There's not nobody really asked for permission there. So if you have an idea and you see a wall, you could just kind of go for it and paint it, and the people will love it, and it will be respected. Um, and so it was just like a real magical place to cultivate my art and kind of understand my art's purpose and value and understand that my art really goes so much more beyond me. And Mm. for me, I really feel like my art is alive when it's in front of somebody and somebody gets to experience it.
0: So one thing that you, (laughs) that you kind of touched on was kind of your identity. And that's something that, I'm like very interested in talking to you about because like, I know I've struggled with my like cultural and like Mexican roots and like the identity as like a Mexican American, like Chicano, like born here, parents born in Mexico. But like, Mm -hmm. you know, to some people, I feel like you are very Mexican or other people you're not Mexican enough. And I feel like Mm. that's a struggle that like I've always dealt with my entire life because It's just like the environment that I grew up in was like in a predominantly like white neighborhood. Once we, my parents like moved us, me and my sister, like out of North Hollywood, where it was like all Mexicans and then into like a suburb where it was like mostly like white people. And there's like some blacks, some Mexicans, some Asians, but like predominantly white. And Mm -hmm. like, I felt like I always struggled. Like I wasn't Mexican enough for the Mexicans in my town that I grew up with, but all my friends, the majority of my friends, 99% of my friends were white dudes. And to them, I was Mexican as hell, (laughs) you know? And so like, I'm very, I'm I'm very curious of like, like what, what were your struggles and like, like throughout, like trying to figure out your identity and, you know, kind of growing up.
1: Oh my God. Preach Selena, preach. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know, the irony is, I went to Mexico City to, you know, resolve this. And I thought it was going to be this, like, coming home tour. And I was going to know exactly who I am and come back so Mexican. And I got to Mexico, and I was just a gringa. (laughs) Yep. Come on. be like, didn't you miss me? I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. And so I... I realized, and this is something that I'm always working on and especially working on through my art, is kind of saying goodbye to this idea that you have to be one or the other. And this was something that we really explored a lot with our project in D.C. is about um, this duality that exists in the multiculturalism and having the liberty to not be enough like this or enough like that and to really embrace that you are just multiple things. And I, I think, I don't know. It's this idea of identity having to look a certain way is so dangerous and, you know, propagates so much insecurity. And I think... I don't know, my my goal, especially in the States, everyone is from everywhere. I think when you could really accept that, then you could just truly feel comfortable in your skin and you could feel like, you know, you're home. Like, I'm a little bit of this, I'm a little bit of that. I'm not Mexican enough for there. I'm too white for over there. But I still belong here, you know? So the the identity crisis is never ending.
0: <laughs> oh that that's comforting to know that it is not something that just kind of like resolves itself because like I've always been like do I need to take like Spanish classes at like the junior college and that'll make me feel more Mexican because I can pronounce certain words better, you know? And like it's just like and I I actually I did that. Like I did that like 9 years ago where I enrolled in like the Pasadena City College and like took some more Spanish classes and at the end of it I was like I don't feel more Mexican even though like I can pronounce certain words better and like I have kind of a better understanding like I never felt like it it didn't solve that issue that I've like kind of dealt with my entire life you know like it, that wasn't the solution like I well, thought that was, that? was gonna Why?
1: for you, like in your house what was it like what was the language scenario like
0: well so my I have an older sister so like My parents always spoke Spanish when she was born and around the house. And then when I was born, my parents were like trying to learn English. And so like they were like taking English classes at like Van Nuys High School, like when I was born. And so like my sister's Spanish was always way better than mine because I just it wasn't being talked around me as much as when my sister was a kid. Um, And so like I just I didn't pick it up like naturally. So my Spanish has always been like not the greatest and I think that's that was that's always been like like I've always had a lot of pride for my ethnicity and like that's never been my my issue it's always been like my identity crisis has been like oh my Spanish isn't good enough and I don't have that confidence to have conversations like with certain family members or oh, with strangers man. at a restaurant, yes. you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, to like small talk in Spanish and the little like the little apolos yeah, and, uh, and all that. Yes, I know.
0: Yeah, and like I used to rely on like like I would always joke like when I would drink, like my Spanish got so much better because I just didn't have. That, like, anxiety, and it was just, like, you know, I I wasn't overthinking it, and I would just, like, start spitting shit out, and it was, for the most part, decent, but, like, I would never think to, like, have that confidence sober, so that was probably, like, the one good thing out of, that like, alcohol, (laughs) like, gave me over the years was confidence to speak Spanish, um, even though it wasn't great, but... But, yeah, like, the whole, like, identity crisis thing is fucking real, and it's, yeah. it's it's a struggle. If you don't, like, if you're not, I mean, this is, we're getting, like, deep here, but, like, Take if you you're, like, I, I definitely didn't grow up in a rich neighborhood or with rich, like, we were, you know, normal, whatever, like, immigrant parents and all that shit, but, like, my parents had, like, their own business, and, like, over the years growing up, it was, like, getting better, and, like, You know, like, I just felt like this, like guilt of like, I mean, once again, not we were never rich at all, but like, we were better off than some of my other Mexican friends or family members. And then there was this guilt of like, damn, like, I have it. I'm a little better off than other Mexicans around me. Mm -hmm. And you start to feel like you're not Mexican enough because there's this like thought that you have to be like poor or constantly struggling. struggling. And if you're not struggling, then you're not Mexican enough. And like, that's just a bunch of bullshit. But like, that mm-hmm. was always like in my head of like, Ooh, I'm not Mexican enough because my parents can afford to like pay for, you know, to buy me new cleats, you know, yeah! for football practice, you know, or whatever it is, you know?
1: Yeah, it's messed up, man. It It's interesting to think about, you know, I I mean, even for me having this little getaway, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know. I'm kind of like embarrassed.
0: <laughs> no, but you deserve it and you earned it. You worked hard for it. And it's like we need to be like we need to allow ourselves to like, you know, celebrate and and, you know, pamper ourselves because you we work, you work hard for it. So, yeah, it's fine. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean it's there's so many layers in the, the like socioeconomic part. It's all just like some twisted fantasy that has just like I don't know, it's broken up the solidarity with the Mexicanos. Oh it's so deep. I could go on forever. And it's it's also crazy too in Mexico when it's just like, okay, well we're all just Mexican here. <laughs> that that was like a very cool experience. To be just like you know, not the only Mexican in the room, (laughs) and and then there's uh, Mexico has its other layers. It's it's I don't know. I wonder if it's just the human condition, but there's also so much discrimination against indigenous communities, and it's there. What
0: what what are your thoughts of like? I'm sure you're very aware of like how Mexico City's become like you know, like the new Tulum or like just like the new place that like a lot of Americans go to kind of get away and like, you know, oh, and like
2: telework from Airbnbs for like months at a time.
0: Exactly. And like, I know that's something that like, I mean, I don't, I mean, I talk about gentrification all the time and how much I hate it, but jokingly I hate it. I think it's, it's got its good and it's bad, but like, yeah, I like I'm always just like I I would kind of like during the pandemic, I'd kind of like it would kind of rub me the wrong way when I would see like people like in Mexico City. Tr- like, I don't know. It just bothered me for some reason of like a lot of Americans or, you know, just non Mexicans, people from all over the world were going to Mexico City to like get away. And I was like, oh, you're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin yeah. Mexico City.
1: I know. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there's there's a lot of layers here too the pandemic was rough in Mexico. And I remember a lot of my friends writing me like, Hey, you know, I got to leave New York I'm thinking about coming to Mexico city. I'm like, the pandemic is here too. Like COVID is also here. Please stay there. Like there you're not this, you're not coming to like Mexico, Cancun spring break. It's like, we're living the same thing. And it is kind of, wild how mexico city transformed in this time it did get pillaged by um you know digital nomads and there are two neighborhoods that are just unrecognizable anymore so i moved in 2014 and i lived in this neighborhood um Actually, my studio is still there in La Tabacalera, which is close to the historic center. And at this time, you couldn't speak English. There was no cafes with menus in English. You just had to, like, roll with it. And the kind of tourism that was coming through Mexico were, like, um, a lot of people that were interested in going to archaeological sites and, um, you know, doing just, like, this very gritty nature tourism. And now it's turned into this very cosmopolitan uh, place, which in many ways has its benefits because now I think Mexico's had to become less conservative. Uh, Definitely the way that you could dress on the street has changed, which I'm super into that. Like now you can walk around wearing shorts and, uh, you know, not not get catcalled as much, but it is like another New York and another LA. You walk into La Roma and La Comesa and it doesn't really feel like Mexico anymore. <laughs> so wow. it's, yeah, it's wild. And I I feel bad and sometimes I wonder if I'm part of the problem. Um, I was really excited. I got invited as the, the guest for the Louis Vuitton Mexico City Guide. And so I shared all my favorite spots and all my secrets about Mexico City and it came out after the pandemic and I was just like, no, (laughs) no, no, we need that. We need that. I'm like, should I just buy all of these and like keep them in a vault? It's like, it's like the (laughs) magical place uh, is getting, I don't want to say, I don't know. I have to be so careful about my words because. Yeah, I want to believe that there is some good to it, but the community that's kind of taken over in from the kind of expat community in Mexico City is very insular, and I'm, you know, there's not a lot of eagerness to learn the language or the customs, right? Or all these things that I initially really loved about Mexico City, this collaborative, um. Collective energy—it's um, not totally like that. So there's been a lot of pushback. There's been a lot of street art telling the gringos to go home, um, <laughs> and it's skyrocketed prices. Like a glass of wine now is at $16, Damn, waged, like sixteen dollars, and the wage and
2: prices.
1: Yeah, so a lot of people go there and. If someone says Mexico is so cheap, you just already know you're going to have to handle them with care. Because <laughs> yeah. The minimum wage yeah. there is like 50 pesos a day. Oh my
0: gosh.
1: So it's, it's, yeah, it's troublesome. I'm curious to see how it unfolds. The good news is right now, it's just two neighborhoods that are very much like this. And once you leave those centers, it feels like Mexico again.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, so you're talking about street art, and obviously, like, that's been so meaningful to you in your journey as an artist. Um, I want you to tell us about Mujeres Muralistas and how that started <laughs> and, like, where you see that going.
1: Yeah, Mujeres Muralistas. I'm so happy that you brought this project up. So, Mujeres Muralistas is a portrait project that I started to give a face to all of these women street artists that are doing large scale murals and work in public, because I got really tired of going to mural festivals. And if there's 10 people on the roster, two of them were women. Mm -hmm. And I would bring this up to the organizers and they would say, Oh, you know, there's just not a lot of women who paint or, Oh my God. You know, they're just not very good. And,
0: Boom. Yeah,
1: this was my call to action to really blow the whistle on that narrative. Um, and I actually was so surprised myself. I thought, it's like, yeah, I can at least, you know, come up with 30 that are working in Mexico City and share their work. And as soon as I opened this uh, convocatoria, like this open call, The project got flooded with women working all over Mexico and so far on our Instagram page and on our website, there's just 50 profiles, but I have a Google sheet with like 350 women with attachments of all of their work, their profiles, their bios. So I'm so anxious to come back to this project and I'm planning on doing it now that I'm back in california but it it was a really beautiful project because even amongst other women painters we didn't know we didn't even see each other out there Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it really like motivated and fueled the fire of women to like step up ask for more money on these jobs ask for more security and there is a lot of violence and you know mexico city has mexico in general has a lot of issues with feminicidios and i really do believe that if we see more artwork public artwork by women authors on the street in public spaces that it will create a safer more secure environment for us to be on the street
2: i love that once again, you're so inspiring to me always. And I like I know we talked when we wrapped up our project in DC. We're like, "We got to collab again." So, this is just yeah. making me more excited. <laughs> um yeah, but I know it's late and you have an outdoor hot tub to go to and you've been very generous with your time tonight. Um oh, was but hard. Yeah, no, I just want to say thank you again. And I feel like um, both Pedro and I definitely relate to your whole, you know, j- continuous journey to like finding that identity. And I feel like everything that we kind of talked about um, ties into that, right? Like just continuing on it and like all working towards letting go of any of that shame, whether it's like not being not fitting into a certain like identity or a certain label Mm -hmm. and just like celebrating being us so i i appreciate all your time and all all your wisdom and do you want to tell our lovely listeners where they can find you on the internet on instagram
1: yeah please please amazing lovely listeners out there find me on Instagram at Scarlett Bailey Scarlet with two T's Bailey no E and <laughs> my website is the same scarlettbailey.com um most of my art is on both those platforms social media is getting ever more challenging for me so I'm thinking about turning it into like a wildflower and pictures of my dog account <laughs>
0: <Bad>. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so far it's it's just my art so it'd be rad to connect there too and i'll be posting the making of my upcoming project at liberty station and i'm also looking for community painters if anybody is interested in being a muralist or learning how to work on that scale come work with me anyone who's listening to this and curious about being an artist, and if you have any questions about how much to charge for what you do to start i absolutely love love sharing this information i'm an open book uh so i would love to chat with anybody
2: that's so uh, once again like so generous of you and that makes me think because you know I'm always trying to like pull the marketing thing here I'm like yes, okay sister. well you need you need to charge for like a seminar <laughs> like a, <laughs> <laughs> that's where mine mind's going but uh, you're you're yeah, nicer kinder hearted like, yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs>
0: And when we've come full circle, women in tech. Here we go.
2: Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yes.
0: All right. Thank oh, you so much, okay. Scarlett. This was Thank great to talk you. to you and finally meet you digitally.
2: Yeah, word
1: up. Well, salute, guys, and enjoy the rest of your
2: night. Thank you. Salute.